Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We're going to dismiss our children to the Children's Church group right now. Children's Choir is continuing to meet, and as Pastor Gary said, they will be sharing next Sunday. And I really want to encourage you to come and support our children. As Gary said, you may not have children or grandchildren in the group, but they are your children. They belong to this church family. And I really want to encourage you to come next week to invite a friend. These kids are really excited about what they're going to be presenting to us. And I'm looking forward to it. I'll just have a short devotional to go with. The main part of the service will be the musical presentation and the message that they will be bringing. So I really want to encourage you next Sunday be sure and be here for our service. Come and join us for Sunday school and also for our 11 o'clock service. Uh, lots of people have asked me, aren't you going to wear your 12 jersey today? I don't have a 12 jersey, so I do have some Seahawk t-shirts. Uh, but look at it. Did you notice? Come on, look, I, I, li- I think I like uh, Michael. He's got the suit coat and the number three on. That's good, Michael. That's, oh, your dad does too. That's good. Okay. So I got, I got the Seahawk tie on. Uh, you'll notice Pastor Gary wore his, uh, his checkered victory flag shirt this morning, right? <laughs> and our uh, choir wore their home, uh, their home blue uh, choir robes today, right? The visiting green robes are still down in Zambia <laughs> since 1998. So, uh, but I know there's a lot of excitement about the game today and uh, and uh, I'm glad you're here today. I know some of you maybe even thought about staying home and we're just getting caught up in a lot more of the pre, pre-game stuff, but you came to join us today, and I'm going to let you out on time today, all right? Where's Trainer? Is he going to tell me no again today? No. I thought Trainer would be wearing his King Felix shirt today. I was all set for that to kind of get us to remember that the Mariners exist too, all right? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah, are you, you mad, bro? Because I was going to tell you that. But <laughs> But you ruined it for me, so. <laughs> All right. Mark chapter 5. Open your Bible is the Gospel of Mark. We're going to continue our uh, study through uh, Mark. And we've been doing this in uh, Sunday school, in case you're visiting with us. Everybody from early childhood through adult is uh, studying the Gospel of Mark together. We're in Sunday school and then also in the morning service. And that's why you have the... Uh, uh, we also have our discussion guides we've been sending home with you as well for you to maybe talk with your family. I just want to remind you, your children and young people are studying the same thing that you're studying and that we're talking about here in the morning service as well. The children's church classes that are meeting right now, they also are continuing to uh, look at the Gospel of Mark as we are as well. So you have some touch points to discuss at home uh, in your family devotion times and in your sharing. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for... This day we can come to uh, worship you and to celebrate once again on the first day of the week the resurrection of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. As we uh, look to the Gospels today and consider uh, these interactions from his life uh, with uh, the people that he encountered, we pray that we may learn more of you and understand uh, more, and Lord, that we can apply this to our lives as we walk with you and interact with our world this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I know, as Gary said, as someone said, I wish the game was just over so you know who won. Um, it kind of misses the point a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, 
you know, by tonight, a lot of you are going to be feeling uh, elation and joy, or it could be uh, dejection. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's a possibility, okay? Um, but dejection and rejection are two different things. I wonder if any of you have ever felt rejected. You ever felt rejected by uh, maybe somebody at your job, maybe somebody in your family, Maybe some of you love uh, very much. Um, maybe in a role, you know, maybe in a role you've had as a, as a leader and uh, you have felt rejected. Um, you know, that's a very personal thing. It's a very hard thing. We, you know, we all go through that. Uh, none of us like rejection. Most, I think we all pretty much want people to like us. We want to be accepted. We don't want to be rejected, especially when you feel like you're doing your best and you're trying your hardest, and it's, it's probably hardest when uh, you, are, you are doing your best in all good conscience to do what's right and to be rejected. That's very, very difficult. That's very personal, and that's, that's, very, that's very deep. And this morning, we're going to look at um, this uh, rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, uh, we, this morning, uh, we in Sunday school, we were in Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35, all the way to chapter 6, verse 6. And we're going to look at two accounts of rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're, I want you to know, though, also, that this sandwich between these, these two things, the rejection of Christ, are two tremendous stories of acceptance and faith. And, of course, that's the, that's, that's the story of the Gospels. And uh, we looked at Sunday school this morning at the, uh, the story in, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 5 of the, the synagogue ruler, uh, Jairus, it says, who, uh, who came to him in verse 22 of chapter 5. And one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come. Put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. Here's a story of tremendous faith, tremendous acceptance. This is a synagogue ruler. He's putting a lot on the line here. He, this, is, this is not the rabbi, but this is like the president of the synagogue. It's an elected position. He's in charge of a lot. He's responsible for a lot. He's responsible for creating the worship service every week at the synagogue. Um, he's responsible for buying property. He has a lot of responsibility. And we know that Jesus has not been warmly welcomed by a lot of the religious leaders. He puts a lot on the line here throws it all away because his daughter is dying, is desperate. And he has great faith and acceptance of Jesus to the point that he comes and begs him in front of everybody, please come and touch my daughter. And in, in the middle of this, as, as he's going to the, to, the, to the man's house, a lady comes who's, who's had this, this, this bleeding for 12 years and she's unclean. She's a social pariah because of this. She cannot go to synagogue. She cannot do a lot of things. She, she is a, a, she's, re, she's rejected. And she comes to Jesus in the middle of this, and it tells us in verse 26 that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she got worse. She heard Jesus was coming, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately she's healed. And we studied in class this morning that interaction where Jesus says, who touched me? His disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? There's all these people around you. What do you mean who touched you? No, somebody touched me. And he has this interaction with this lady and, and, and claims that your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. 
And uh, this, so we have another story of tremendous acceptance and faith. And of course, meanwhile, the, the, the people come and say, don't bother anymore, uh, Jairus, your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, no, 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 she's not dead. She's only sleeping, come. And Jairus, in faith, goes with Jesus. And in spite of all the ridicule of everybody around him, this leader of the synagogue says, no, I'm going to go with him. We're going to go. And he raises the daughter. These two great stories of faith. But on either side of those two stories, we have in chapter 5 the story of, of Jesus going to the area of the Gadarenes. He leaves, it says in verse 1, that they went, they went across the lake to the region of the Gesserenes, or the Gadarenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And notice the detail of this man's life that Mark gives us. Um, you know, this is a personal witness. So either this is Peter's account that he gave to Mark. This is very personal, very personal. And he, and he says, and no one could bind him anymore. He lived in the tombs. No one could even tie him up anymore. Not even with the chains. Obviously, they had tried to chain this man. He was so desperate, they tried to chain him. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now, he wasn't a criminal, but he was demon-possessed. And so they tried to chain him up. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This man is desperate. This is a really ugly situation here. And he sees Jesus from a distance. He ran. He fell on his knees in front of him, and, and, he, sh and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to me you won't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And again, in our class this morning, we looked at this and considered that, you know, I think, that, I think this man in his humanity, he is demon-possessed. We're going to see there's a thousand demons we're going to see in a minute. But in his humanity, even in this state, he comes to Jesus. I don't think the demons would come to Jesus like that, but he comes to Jesus and throws himself down. He's desperate. He wants help as well. Here's another, I think, in his humanity, an act of faith, he comes. But, but the demons cry out inside of him. He's, he's, this guy, his life is so dominated by this. What do you want with this Jesus? And we have this encounter of Jesus and these demons. And, and, and the story goes on. And well, let's just read it. Lord, my name is Legion, he replied. For we are many. Legion, of course, means a thousand. So it's, you know, we, are, we are a lot, okay? And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out to the sea. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. This is in Gentile territory. They are away from Israel. They have crossed the Sea of Galilee, gone east. They are in Gentile territory. This man is demon-possessed. The story has, surrounds itself with these unclean animals, Pigs, as you know, in Jewish law, they are unkosher, they are unclean. You do not eat pork. And so this is the whole setting here in this Gentile community. And, 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 and the demons beg, send us into the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. The evil spirits came out and went in the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number. So there might have been two legions of demons, okay? rushed down the steep bank in the lake and were drowned. Those who were tending the pigs ran off. I mean, this is, you know, 2,000, a lot. Of, you ever seen 2,000 pigs? Can you imagine that? 2,000 pigs running. Boy, I'd get out of the way, I'll tell you that, you know. <laughs> running, and then they just hurled themselves off the cliff. And everybody's just standing there also realizing there goes their income. There goes their business. There goes their livelihood. And, and, and they just, they're gone 
And, and this whole scene is just so, so amazing that these people, I'm sure, all stand there with their mouths open. And, and, and they, they ran and they reported this in verse 14 in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. I guess, I don't know if they went out and saw the carcasses and the pigs and the water floating or what happened. And everybody came to see it. The, even more amazing when they came to Jesus, verse 15, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed. He's, all, he's in clothes now. He hasn't been tearing his clothes and coming. He's dressed. He's sitting there, and he's in his right mind. He's at peace. He's calm. And he's just sitting there. This is the guy they tried to chain up, and he would break the chains. They tried to put irons on his ankles. He would break the irons. And the notice says they were afraid. They were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Now notice this. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Jesus, go. Leave us. Now, these people had seen this demon-possessed man. In their culture, they wouldn't have second-guessed this. They would have accepted that. And they were willing to accept that. But after what they saw Jesus do, this amazing miracle, but it cost somebody 2,000 pigs. And it's so upsetting, and they're so afraid that this Jew from across the water has come over to their land that they're, they're, they're so afraid. It says they beg him. They don't just say, Jesus, could you, okay, can you go home now? Thank, thank you, but can you go? No, they beg him. Get out of here. Leave us alone. Go back to Galilee. Go back where you belong. Leave us. And Jesus is rejected. He's rejected by these very people whom he came over and did something wonderful for them. Yes, they lost 2,000 pigs. But there should have been some joy at seeing if, if, this, if, this, if this prophet, if this man of God could, could do this and heal this man and do this wonderful miracle, what else could he do? How, what else could he do for us? How else could we respond? What would it mean to, to put our faith and believe and accept this? But instead they reject him. They reject him. And they beg him, get out of here and go back to where you belong. Go back to Galilee where your home is. And he does. And he gets in the boat and his disciples and they go across the lake and they go home. Jesus suffered rejection. He suffered rejection from the Pharisees and scribes. He suffered rejection from those who doubted. He suffered rejection from people he was trying to do something good for trying to help, who saw the power of God over the powers of evil, but they rejected him. Then we go to the story of Jairus and the, and the girl who's dying that, that Jesus ends up raising from the dead. We have the story of the lady who's with the bleeding, and, and she is cured. She's instantly healed. You know, we didn't finish that story, but, but Jesus goes to the house with these people, and he goes there and in, uh, you notice in, uh, he, gets, he gets there in verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him. He says, don't, in verse 36, don't be afraid, just believe, have faith. And they go to the house. So when they came, verse 38, 
to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. They had, they had professional wailers and mourners they would hire. They would bring instruments and play and, and wail and mourn. And Jesus says, why, why, why all this? Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. He's not, he's not just suggesting she's in a coma. She is dead, but he is going to bring her back to life. And they laughed. They, re- they rejected. They laughed at him. But Jairus was still there with him. He puts them all out. In verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up. And she walked around. She was 12 years old. The lady had 12 years of illness. She had this illness for as long as this girl was alive. Both of them are called daughters. Both of them are desperate. She gets up, she walks around, and they were astonished. And he gives strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and in this little detail, and he told them, give her something to eat. And as was pointed out in our class, we had discussion on this. You know, if she was recovering from an illness, when, you, when, when you've been really sick, and she was really sick, she died, um, you know, when you recover, you generally don't have a real big appetite, right? You kind of work back into that. But in this case, it was so sudden that, that it was like it never happened. And Jesus said, give her, she's hungry, give her something to eat. And after he does this wonderful miracle in chapter 6, Jesus leaves again. And he went to his own hometown. He goes, he goes west. He goes to his own hometown. Jesus of Nazareth. He goes to Nazareth. Nazareth is between Capernaum and the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, If you travel to Israel, you generally go and visit Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. This was his home. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. This is where Mary and Joseph took him, where their their family home was now. And and he grew up there. And he goes to his his hometown, and he goes there with his disciples. It's interesting, the, the word in the Greek is the word for father, is connected with hometown. So it's, his, it's, it's the place of his home. This is where he belongs. You know, the people in the Gadarenes said, go home. He does go home. He really goes home. He goes back to his home of Nazareth. And it says when he gets there, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. I think this is the last time in Mark where we're going to see him teaching in the synagogue. He began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed at him. They were amazed at his teaching. They heard him teach, and they heard him preach, and they were, they were astonished at what he was saying and what he was teaching, to the point that they say to themselves, where did this man get these things? And they asked, what's this wisdom that has been given to him, that he even does miracles? Now notice this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, in this particular passage, you get a real look into the humanity of Jesus. You know, we we need to be reminded that in his humanity, in his human condition, he was a real human being. He was fully God and he was fully man. 
And he goes back to his hometown and the people that grew up with him. Now look at his family. I mean, you know, this is a large family. Notice what it says here. It names his brothers, four of them. It puts his sisters in plural, which says at least there's two of them, at least. And Jesus, that's seven at the minimum, children in his family. Joseph is gone. All we can say is Joseph does not appear in the Gospels after the birth narratives and the, and the story when Jesus goes to Jerusalem. After that, he is gone. The assumption is he probably had died. But this is where he grew up. These people live with Jesus. I mean, some of you here, probably most of you here, have had siblings. I'm the youngest of four. We have brothers and sisters. You, you maybe grew up in the family with siblings. Some of you, my wife comes from a family of seven children. And, uh, you know, think of this. His own brothers and sisters who grew up with him were so astonished that they would not accept any question. Well, really, you could almost say, who does he think he is? Where did he get this teaching? You know, we went to the same synagogue. We had the same teachers. We had the same mom and dad. We did, where, where does he think he, where does this come from? And, and, they, and they look at him, and they question, and they, and they reject him. His own brothers and his own sister. I wonder what it would be like to have a, I wonder what it would be like to have a really famous sibling. You ever thought about that? Anybody here have a real famous sibling? Okay, I don't. Um, but, you know, what would it be like to have a really famous sibling? What if your sibling was a star in the Super Bowl today? And everybody asks you, what's it like having you know, so-and-so for a brother. Do you think we could get together? Some, can I come over to your house sometime? You know, you know, what would it be like having a really famous sibling? I mean, a really famous one. Maybe president of the United States, maybe a senator, maybe a famous actor or musician, somebody really famous that everybody is just falling over all the time when they think, I guess who I saw today? And you're thinking, well, I grew up with him and her. They weren't anything special. They were no different than the rest of us. And Jesus' siblings and his hometown and his family. And they say, wait a minute. This is the carpenter. This is, this is the man who he works with his hands like the rest of us. And carpenter in this, in this context could mean not only wood, it could also mean stone and you know, stonework as well. He's a carpenter. He's like the rest of us. He works with his hands. He's just like us. And we don't accept it. We don't believe it. We don't accept it. And it says that they took offense at him. They, that indicates they were sort of upset about this. They were kind of angry about this. Everybody's making over Jesus. And notice Jesus' response. Only in his hometown among his relatives and his own house is a prophet without honor. There was sort of a, a saying that we have from other literature at this time that there was a saying that went around, kind of a proverbial saying along these lines, that a, that a teacher, a prophet, is, 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 with, is without honor only in his hometowns, and that a physician is, not, is able to heal except those who know him. <laughs> That was kind of the saying that went around. If, if you're a prophet or a physician in your own hometown, you can't help people because they won't believe you. That was the saying that went around. And Jesus kind of grabs onto this and, and reminds people, this is true. This is what people say. And notice what it says on verse 5. 
he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed. He was astonished at their lack of faith. There's a good question for you to ponder this week. Why couldn't, you know, Jesus is God. He can do anything. Why could he not do many miracles there? And it just flat out says he did some. He did some. But he could not do many. Or he could not do any there except a few. And there's this connection between faith and healing. The, the, the problem is not in Jesus' power. The problem is in the lack of faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the two go together. Jesus was never, he never intended to be a magic man. He wasn't there to put on a magic show. He wasn't there just to do miracles. There was a connection between these miracles and people's faith. And this response, and this response to him And it says, because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of belief, because they took offense at him, he was not able, he he did not do many miracles there. And he left. And you know, we don't really have Jesus going back to Nazareth. Capernaum becomes his, really his home base. His hometown, his home place. And And the question, you know, it raises this question about rejection. Jesus is rejected. He's rejected over in the Decapolis, the ten cities, the Gentiles. He's rejected by leaders wherever he goes. He's rejected in his own hometown by his very own siblings. His very own siblings and neighbors and kids he grew up with and people that knew him reject him. And this, of course, is the story of the Gospels. It's a story of faith and the power of God and the story of rejection, ultimately finding his place in the cross of Calvary, where he suffers the penalty for my sin and for yours. And I just want to remind you this morning, you know, Jesus told his disciples just before he died, he he tells them this, remember what I told you in the Gospel of John, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And Jesus prepares his disciples as they're going to go out and do his ministry. Uh, somebody, who is it? Uh, Christy, you have the shirt, right? This says Jesus had 12 men too. Right, okay. <laughs> it's blue and green. <laughs> have you seen that one? Jesus had 12 men also. Okay, so uh, his disciples... We're going out to do his ministry. And he tells them up front, but, but don't expect everybody to accept you. You're going to be rejected. Because if they rejected me, they're going to reject you. You are not above, a servant is not above his master. And I wonder sometimes, I ask my question, myself, why am I surprised that people reject our message of the gospel? And they may even reject you and me because of that. Why does that surprise us? Why do we get angry about that? What is it about that, 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 that when people reject what we have to say and share about the love of Jesus Christ, that we can get kind of angry? We can get sort of um, almost like, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll go somewhere else, you know. 
Why do we do that? Jesus told his disciples, this is what's going to happen. The Apostle Paul, in, on several occasions, speaks of this as well, but in, in 2 Corinthians, as he opens this letter to the, to the church at Corinth, and he's speaking about his apostolic ministry as an apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and, he, and he says this in verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance. This is the apostle. Paul says, we as apostles, those workmen, we spread the perfume. We spread the cologne. You know, when you walk into a room and, and someone's wearing a, a perfume or cologne and you smell it. And he says, we are, we are the fragrance of the knowledge of God. For we are to God the fragrance or the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and, and those who are perishing, those who are dying. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? And Paul says, listen, I know my ministry is an apostle. I, Paul left everything to, to do what Christ called him to do. But he says, I know my ministry, my speaking, my preaching, my, I, I, you know, Paul was trying to do good. Paul was trying to help. Paul says in Romans 9, I give up my own salvation for the sake of my own countrymen, my fellow Jews, if they would come to Christ. Paul told the Roman authorities, I, I wish every one of you would be like me except for these chains. Paul was doing everything he could to do the right thing. And he says, but I know I'm, I'm the smell of death to those who are rejecting and the Lord Jesus Christ reminds the apostles and reminds us, they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as Paul comes to the end of his life and leaves this, this guidance for Pastor Timothy and talks about all the things that he has been through, the sufferings and persecutions. And in verse 12 he says, this is, Paul says this, in fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly, chapter 3, verse 12 in 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I say that, my, my friends, this morning, and I, as I'm speaking to myself first, that we are reminded as those who carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't expect it to always be be met with acceptance. You know that. And don't get, don't get so angry about it. Don't get so worked up over it. But be faithful. The people closest to you might reject it. I know many people who, whose very spouses and people that they are married to will reject it and make fun of it. But our, our responsibility, our responsibility is to be faithful to God. Don't be surprised. Jesus was rejected. He was rejected in the land of the Gentiles, and he was rejected in the land of the Jews, and he was rejected by his very own family. Now later on, his brother James becomes the apostle of the church in Jerusalem. They obviously come around. We will suffer rejection. There is a cost for discipleship. Let's not be dis dis surprised. But I want to conclude with this this morning. It's interesting, these, these stories of rejection. I want to start first with the story of Nazareth. I thought it was really interesting. You know, as Jesus leaves Nazareth, as we saw in chapter, chapter 6, and it says he could, he could not do and he didn't do many miracles there because he was rejected. And he, and he, and he leaves and heads back over to Capernaum. 
I thought it was interesting this week. I got an email from Israel. Um, Rita, where are you, Rita? Yeah, Rita, some years ago, she would share with me uh, the ministry of child evangelism in Israel. And so that was interesting. So she, she put me on the mailing list. So I get their emails. And you, you still forward them to me, and I get some from them as well. Child evangelism, working in Israel. And think about, and I just thought it was interesting as I was studying this rejection at his own hometown of Nazareth. What happened there? And I get this email this week. Dear prayer partner, grace and peace. This is from uh, Fadi, he goes by. Fadi is probably a native, more uh, Arab, Palestinian person. And he and his wife, and they work with child evangelism in Israel. Uh, he, earlier, he gave a report. Um, he gave a report in August, I think it was, of some of the things that happened. They had six weeks of camp in Galilee. 500 children reached, 40 commitments of faith, and three, 30 assurances of salvation. And he writes this week, Dear prayer, partner, grace and peace. In the beginning of this year, 2015, it snowed in Nazareth. This is where they minister, in Nazareth. This is not a normal scene, and it doesn't happen often. When I went to school this week, following the snow, one girl came up to me and said, the best present Jesus gave me for my birthday this year was the snow. <laughs> Snowed on her birthday in Nazareth. Another girl told me that her mother was expecting to give birth to a baby girl, and the doctor told her mother she might give birth on the same day as the girl's birthday. Even though for many others this would be a special and unique event, yet this girl told me, she prays it would not be like that. I wonder why. I asked her to explain. She said, if my mom gives birth on the same day as my birthday, she wouldn't be able to attend my party. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he concludes, concludes with this. As for me, the best present Jesus gave Child Evangelism Fellowship of Israel this year is you. Listen, friends. Jesus was rejected by his own family in Nazareth, and today there are Christian workers leading children to Christ and discipling them in Nazareth. The man that was healed of the demons. Very, to me, and we'll close, I want to close this. This is a very touching story to me. I really find this a very touching scene. There's some scenes in the Gospels that you just wish you could just kind of be there and experience. In verse 18, it says, after Jesus had healed this man and the pigs ran off the cliff and the people were afraid and said, get out of here, Jesus, go back where you belong. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged, the people begged him to leave. He begged to go with him. Jesus, can I please come with you? I have nothing here. These people don't like me. You know, he, he has to go back now and face all the questions. Oh, so you were faking it all those years, huh? Oh, so you're the guy that cost us those 2,000 pigs. Who do you think you are? I mean, he's got a lot. He's, he, he's going to have to learn a trade. He's going to have to, everything in his life has changed. He says, Jesus, let me go with you. I will make a good disciple. Let me come, please. Begs him, gets on his knees probably, begs him, Jesus, let me go with you. But Jesus would not let him. But he said to him, go home. First, go to your family. Go home to your family and start with them and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away. He did it. 
He went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, he traveled through all 10 cities and he told them how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Doesn't say they all came to Christ. Doesn't say they all accepted him or Christ. But they were amazed. And he was faithful. And he went home and was a disciple there. And he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the questions we have for you this week in our question sheet, one that I've suggested to you, where, where is your home? Where is your home? Where can you go home? How can you share the joy of salvation and the love of God? How can you share this week? How you, like the Lord, how you love people, how you care for them, how you treat them, how you respond to them, how you respond to challenges and difficulties in your life and and demonstrate to them that God can give peace even when things are hard, even if there's rejection, that God can give peace. And and people, what is it? Why, Why are you not upset about this? And you share the good news. Why do, you, why do you continue to love me? Why do you continue to help me when I, when I don't even like you, when I'm treating you bad at work, when I'm not a good neighbor? Why are you doing this? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go home. Go home. Go home. Go home. And start with your family and your friends and your neighborhood and your city. Go home. You can be my disciple, friend, but you're not coming back with me. I need you there. And I need you to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel message of hope and joy. And Lord, I thank you that for each one of us here today, uh, there will be opportunities this week. It, even, if, even if we think we're not the strongest believer, maybe it's even all new to us. Uh, maybe we're, you know, we're just taking baby steps. This man was taking baby steps. Everything was new. But he did it. And he shared the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for our friends in Israel today. In Nazareth, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that every one of us will go home and be that witness of what you have done for us. And not worry about rejection, but instead about sharing the love of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray today. As we leave, I just want to leave you with a a question. I know some of you like to think a little bit more about some of these things. I'll give you something to ponder for this. I don't don't want you to tell me the answer today. told my class this morning, can't answer it right now. I know some of you engineers, you already know the answer. Okay, But just wait, be patient. But I want you to think about this. Okay, how come Jesus told the leper we saw a few weeks ago, don't tell anybody about what I did for you. Go show yourself to priests. How come Jesus told the family when he raised this little girl from the dead and he says to them, don't let anybody know about this. But he tells the man who had been possessed by all these demons, what? Go home and tell everybody. Now, why is he telling some people, don't tell anybody, and he tells this man, tell everybody? Okay, when you think about that.
Don't tell me the answer on the way out today, okay? I'm, I can't hear you. Right? <laughs> so I want you to think about it, and we'll come back to that. That's an interesting question. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Enjoy your afternoon. Enjoy the game with your family and friends, and uh, go Hawks, yeah. <laughs>